In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place. Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 9 of the High Ground News on the Ground podcast powered by The Daily Memphian. We are community-based journalists working with residents in Memphis neighborhoods to uncover what is moving the city forward. I am Cole Bradley, Managing Editor of High Ground News. Welcome back from our brief one-week hiatus for the Thanksgiving holiday. I hope you all enjoyed your long weekend, hopefully long weekend. Uh, We are currently focused in Hickory Hill, but we're actually wrapping up that coverage and we're moving into North Memphis in January. So if you have any good North Memphis stories, shoot them our way at highgroundnews.com. You can go, you can email engagement at highgroundnews.com and we will get that story idea. So our guest for today is from the Orange Mound neighborhood. Uh, We have Brittany Thornton with us today. Hi, Brittany. Hey. Uh, Really excited to have you on. Likewise. So normally I would give the title of the person and say what they're associated with. It's a little harder with you because you do so much. But you are at least the founder of Juice Orange Mound. Yes, this is true. (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit about what Juice is? Yeah. So Juice, we're a neighborhood-based nonprofit that serves Orange Mound and its current residents. We work in the active interest of current residents to make sure that the things they want are the things that they get. So there's a ton that fits up underneath what that actually looks like on the ground. But before we get into the kind of nuts and bolts, I'm curious what motivated you to start a nonprofit kind of community org in Orange Mound. Yeah. I'm from Orange Mound. And so I returned home five years ago with Teach for America and started to teach and just saw what condition the neighborhood was in. And it being home, I decided that I wanted to live at home and I wanted to make sure that home was reflective of the excellence that I feel that I deserve. So it's been a journey five years in. I can't believe I'm 30 now, you know, may have a gray hair or two growing somewhere. (laughs) You know, One of the, we've met several times, we've talked several times, we've done a few stories on juice activities. And I mean, honestly, you're one of my very favorite people in the entire city to talk to because hearing you talk about your passion makes me more passionate about my city. Mm -hmm. Um, It just leaks from you, man. Every poor is just passion and drive. And one of the things that you said to me in one of our conversations that stuck with me, uh, you said, the old hats, the old folks in the neighborhood, they talk about the heyday of Orange Mound. You you said, I'm 29 at the time. Mm-hmm. I'm 29 years old and my heyday is now and I have to make it mm-hmm. for myself. Yeah. And that stuck with me so hard, this yeah. idea of if it's not there, be the change you want to see. Yeah. You know, I feel like that's kind of the going like phrase that people say to, you know, at graduation ceremonies and at my graduation, it was go be a change agent, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, well, what's step one of doing that? And um, I can honestly say if it weren't for the direct passion and connection to Orange Mound, I I couldn't see myself going and taking the risks that I'm taking because at this point, it's like, you know, 
I'm, I'm terminating relationships. I'm making it awkward in conversations. I'm pointing out elephants and I'm doing it with a greater sense of urgency, particularly now than ever before. And so I know that I, that would only be behavior that I would do if I really, really believed in what I was talking about. So a lot of these projections would have me benefit at 50 and 55 and 60 and this basic belief that that's unacceptable um, for how I want to live my life. Um, is what I drive, you know, and that's, that's what fuels me. So you said a moment ago, you know, well, how do I do that? What's the first step? So what was the first step when you got back to Orange Mound and you said, I want to be that change agent? What was the first step that you took? Yeah. For me, so people, I don't speak enough to this, but this is very much so a spiritual journey because inside of me is just an inherently self-doubting person. And so um, this is just, it's a its a leap of faith always. It's a pursuit of fear. Like people don't understand this intimate relationship that I have with fear. The things that I do, the ways that I show up, the people that I speak to are people that I feel intimately like inferior of like a lot of my day is spent around powerful white men and um just from my upbringing that that is a, a identity that those are identities that I just I'm like oh my goodness how can I show up and stand beside that and so um you know power tends to reside in certain places and so I find myself for whatever reason able to find my way to those spaces um, and every time the message is very clear for me that Orange Mound deserves to be even there and so if if it weren't home again you know I wouldn't be able to do it but um, thankfully you know the the cookie crumbled the way it did and so I just feel like this is just so much it's it's in the stars you know and so I just I roll with it. So Juice being a kind of community, I don't want to, it's not exactly community development. It is, but it's a lot more than that. Yeah. Um, you know, community agency, community, not an agency in the sense of it is an agency, but in developing yeah. agency within the community, uh, also the development bits and, you know, also just kind of direct community support. I mean, I think the first story that we did where I met you, y'all were doing a neighborhood diaper bank or diaper drive. Um, the community baby shower. Yes, community yeah. baby shower. Thank you. Yeah. Um, like, how did y'all come up with that idea? So the cool thing is everything that we do is inspired by the feedback that current residents give us. And so if you're on the ground in Orange Mound, there are so many people who are so generous with like their wishes, their hopes, their desires, their dreams, their frustrations. You get a lot of feedback in Orange Mound. And so um, just by hosting monthly meetings, we were just continuously hearing things. And so Juice positions itself to not only just receive, you know, the venting sessions, but to start to operationalize it and strategize and put a method to the madness so that we can continue to pursue the things we're after rather than just have them pursue us. Yeah. So speaking of that, the sort of pursue as opposed to being pursued or being acted upon, right? A lot yeah. of neighborhoods uh, get acted upon mm-hmm. and they're not participating in that work uh, or even that conversation. So can you speak a little bit to that about Orange Mound specifically, you know, where it's at and where you want to see it in terms of resident involvement? Yeah, it's so interesting um, because that's where the elephant is for me in this work is that we have a lot of friendly 
um, people who are acting upon the community. A lot of how Orange Mound for me when I was young was um, it was like a black mecca. Like I, I did not start to engage white people until I went to private school in fifth grade. And so everyone in my, you know, my everyday was just a black person. I, you know, there would have been like a little young, ignorant Brittany that was just like, do white people exist? What are they? You know, like, I just don't know what they're like because they weren't in my world. And so I grew up in a space that was very pro-black. It was very much so black is beautiful. Every day at Hanley, Miss Payne had us saying affirmations about who we are, where we came from, and where we're going. And I looked to elders, and it was just it was just this like almost like utopian experience. Um, and that for me, there was a, a shift in fifth grade. But when I think about you know the influencers of today, so much of those values just aren't really landing very well. They're not being translated in who is standing to influence like the youth of today. And so that's a that's a difficult thing to sit back and watch because I know what it, it did for me. It, it allowed me to get into the driver's seat and feel confident in driving. And so um, I just wonder, you know, we'll see what that manifests into on down the line. But I know um, that right now, we have um, persons who want to do to Orange Mound and not with. And I think that that's the biggest thing that stands out to me is over the course of the five years of me just being humble and coming in to be able to say, hey, I was gone for seven years. You know, when I left Orange Mound, I was a high schooler. When I came back, I was 24. And so to say that I would just come back and just, you know, fall into this place of leadership, that wasn't my experience. I was on the ground for two years just learning at the feet of the elders, listening. I showed up with a computer and nobody else had one. So I found my unique role in just being a recent college graduate who decided to come back home yeah. and could be the secretary. I was the secretary of, of like all the organizations that were <laughs> out and about, you know, um, and I could produce minutes. And that was my act of service. Even though I couldn't speak as a leader, I was contributing in an impactful and listening. way. Yeah. And yeah. learning. And, um, you know, today is December 6th. It's the third um, year anniversary for our organization. Congratulations! It's, it's so crazy to think, um, but thank you. That I mean, it's it really, it's it's going to hit me, you know, in the midnight hour tonight. That, yeah, it is. That this is like the day, um, because they tell you, you know, year three is that transformative year. You can make it to year three. Oh, people look at you differently, and so um, here we are at this point. And up until this point, you know, I just remember there was a moment where I wrote up the whole premise of Juice and I gave it to the existing leaders. And I said, I think that we have a way to be able to help, you know, revive our community. And it just fell to the wayside. But when we went into the campaign, I'm a person, I need a lot of affirmation. When I take moves, like seldom will I ever just move without like doing pulse checks to make sure that I'm moving into a safe space. Right. And so my best friend and I literally, and I'll call her later just to remind her of when we went door to door, we got a hundred people to take a survey to buy into this idea of juice. And so we walked into juice with a very affirmed like sense of um, purpose. And one of the community leaders that I talked to, he said, um, hold on a second. And he went done. He went into his, I guess his, his working space and he brought out that paper that I had written up about juice. He said, you gave this to us wow. a year ago. Wow. Right. That's great. And the so, stars. So one component of juice is the change, mm -hmm. right? Can you talk about that a yeah. little bit? It's interesting because I don't, and I feel when I think about high ground, I think about transformative, you know, like uh, another, like, you know, 
innovative player in a different realm. And so for Juice, I find it's the, the most restricting thing is that people want us to box ourselves. Are you community development? Are you economic development? Do you want to be a CDC? Like box yourself is what I continue to hear. Well, we, like I said, when I first came in, we're, um, we're a tester organization. For us, there's so this, this demographic of people that we're serving has been so underserved that nobody knows how to reach them. Or what they want or exactly. need. Not even Juice knows that, but Juice has walked alongside those persons and has developed um, deep, intimate connections to people and a profound sense of intellectual love for these people that we want to say, hey, like how um, how can we serve you? And by us serving you, how can you serve yourself? How can we create a structure where you're able to serve yourself and we don't have to wait on someone else? Because that was the message that I heard when I came back home. Private industry, um, government follows private investments, right? And if there's no private, you know, active interest, then government doesn't come in and just take on all the risks. Right. Well, who's taking, who was taking risk in Orange Mountain five years ago? <laughs> no one. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> so what were we going to do? We had to do for ourselves. So the change for change is just the model that we use. We collect the spare change to always come from a place of, regardless of whether or not you want to buy into us, we can do something for ourselves. It might be smaller in scope and sequence, but it'll be something. And, and buying and the way it works, when you do for yourself, other people want to do for you. You know, I find that really a really beautiful connection between that and the history of Orange Mound. You know, this idea of financial independence, particularly when it comes to black communities who banks have not been responsive to, responsible to, um, have often actively worked to oppress, et cetera. And so this idea of financial independence uh, as it relates to the history of Orange Mound too, you know, this was the first community that was created for and by black folks that had an essentially an independent economy, you know? So I see this really beautiful connection of this change for change. You know, it's your pocket change, but it's going back into your own community. And, you know, we can rely on ourselves. We don't have to have these outside folks. We can start to create this now here with our own money collectively. Right. Yeah. And people, people, they hear the change for change and they, they think for, they think small scale. But for us, we think the beginning of the slippery slope of falling into financial stability. And so for us, when I first came home, and it's funny because I just, um, saw, um, that the Give 365, um, priority has been set. When I first came home and I saw Give 365 as an entity, I became upset. Because I'm looking at who donors are, and I'm like, wow, all these Nomenthians have come together, coalesced their efforts to be able to like understand the importance of a, the significance of a dollar a day. They did the math to see what that impact could be, and who are the people that they're giving to? My neighborhood, yeah. people from my community, me. They're giving to me, yeah. and the Native Memphian who's only in this 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 power dynamic of being the the hand held right. out, you know, like that. The charity that, case, the essentially. The charity case, and not because that's how people want to view you, but just because no one has created an alternative. And so Juice is that alternative, and our tool is spare change. But after people see the power that spare change 
allows them to possess, it's undeniable that people are going to want more. This is yeah. the nature of people's egos. Even the the most disenfranchised person still think that the best, best dress, can't nobody talk about you. Best know, the ideas, best you. ideas. Everything yes. is, and it's so amazing how that dynamic is um, and just how the will of the spirit um, will just manifest itself naturally. Yeah. So you can guarantee it'll be small change today and large collections of collective, you know, investments on Mm -hmm. down the line. So let's talk about that. I think that's a great segue into, you know, Juice starts with this concept of change for change. uh, And now y'all are moving into training residents to advocate for themselves in front of big funders, banks, you know, um, politicians or policymakers, et cetera, uh, to be able to sit at those tables, know the lingo, know how planning works, et cetera. Um, can you speak a little bit to that? Because that seems like a pretty natural progression of, you know, we're doing this for ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if people can't speak the the lingo, then they, they can't really broker the deal. And so we see a lot of times that people aren't doing high-level functioning because they just don't have that capacity. And I know we'll talk about capacity um, later in the conversation, but a lot of it is is like I'm able to personally, you know, here I am. I'm I'm a token like person that has made it out of Orange Mound, right? My story should be somewhere that's downtown, Cooper Young, East Memphis. That's where Teach for America, when they were, you know, advising on where we should stay, that's where I was told. Orange Mound was counter normative and even where I would seek to desire, but it was home for me. And so I'm not supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be playing respectability politics in different type of privileged spaces and living my own best life, right? I'm supposed to go to mama's house on Sunday and mm-hmm. then go back into my, my spaces and let that be what it is, right? But we have to, I mean, you know, for me, that charge to be a change agent, how can I do that if there isn't a balancing of power, right? What does it mean for us to only allow a few to slip through to be able to come into our spaces of comfort? That's not disruption. Yeah, you said to me, I think we were doing a story on the... um in the absence, the film series. Mm-hmm. And we were just having a discussion, not necessarily about the film series, but just a discussion about power and, and at agency and all of this stuff. And you were talking about how even in uh, these neighborhoods where there are active voices, those are still the same set of voices that get elevated every time. Yeah. It's still the sort of grass tops. Yeah. It's the head of the organization, even if it's a neighborhood association. Yeah. It's the head of the neighborhood association. It's not that person who shows up once a month to help with something and then goes back to their house. They at no point yeah. have a voice in the conversation. It's the beautiful thing about the work, that there is there is never-ending tension like, I cannot tell you how many times, even at this point, you know, it's come back around. It's amazing how it's come back around for me because I remember sitting at the gas station saying, Brittany, they, they, the collective forces that would ever hold me accountable beyond Orange Mound, beyond Juice, will be completely complacent with you talking about the same people and the same situations, right? There's never going to be great accountability. So you have to say, hey, yeah, I know Warren, I know Fairly, I know Daryl, right? But do I know those people that I pass by every single day that I can see are disenfranchised? And what is the reason why I don't want to go? Because I'm afraid, right? Mm-hmm. Are they going to judge me? I didn't graduate from Melrose. Will they look at me and will they say, you don't pass our street respect, you know, respectability, right? And so it's like, 
but how am I going to get there? That's why this is like, this is all about me being committed to alignment because there are events. There was an event um, that another person who is directly connected to the streets put on and it allowed me to fall into relationship just by showing up. Yeah. So my sole commitment is to chase fear, right? Those people might not like me, right? I don't, how am I going to like do this work if they don't like me, right? Yeah. Just show up. Because when I showed up, those people, they received me well. And now it's introduced me to other relationships. So now I get to task that responsibility on people that I invest in. It's not just about you making it out. You now have a responsibility. So when Fairly calls me, he's still, he's in term three. Um, this is Fairly, the same one who I have to tell to take down Facebook posts because he has a gun or he's smoking. You know what I'm saying? This is like a real <laughs> yeah. orange man. He calls himself, uh, what did he say? He's like an orange man baby. He's he, he's so funny. I just love talking to him. He's like, you're so square, but he um, he's in term three on his pathway to getting his high school diploma, not his GED, because we know what that does, right? Yeah. And that was my advising to say, hey, don't pursue a GED program. Go get the high school diploma because I can better serve you with that diploma. Yeah. But that's a sacrifice that he makes. And after he crosses over, he will no longer be the same as the people that he left. And so now he's going to have to be in my position of what do I do, right? Yeah. Am I just going to be a token that follows Brittany into these these exclusive spaces or am I going to do that? So it becomes this, this cycle of giving and fear chasing and pushing for us to see people and serving people that we really say that we love and we want to serve. Yeah, I find a, a kinship to that in our experience at High Ground. You know, we're going into neighborhoods and they're neighborhoods where certainly – I don't look the way that most of the people look. I don't sound the same. You know, I'm kind of socially awkward anyways and feel like I say weird. So yes, we all are (laughs) and say weird stuff. And I definitely have this imposter syndrome and all of that. And it's that fear of, you know, what if they don't like me? What if they don't want to talk? You know, and we find the same thing of that just show up. Mm -hmm. You know, the longer we stay in a neighborhood, the more we show up to community events, the more that we, you know, we don't have a lot of money to do it, but we put money towards Mm -hmm. community events. We'll help sponsor. We'll provide food, you know, something just give back. Don't just ask for story ideas. Be genuine partners in a neighborhood to the capacity that we can. We are still a news organization, but, and that's our primary function. But still, when we show up, when we show that we're, we're here for a long haul, uh, better things happen and people introduce us and that trust begins to build. Um, so I definitely see a kinship to that. You know, I think any kind of community-based work, there's, Trust building is like number one. And guess what, everyone? Unbeknownst to Cole, we're going to lean in that today because I came here with a bone to pick. Uh oh, let's do it. You ready? It'll yes. Be, okay, I'm ready. ready. So, a part of our conversation was around capacity building. And let's just say I love that we get to lean into the relationship. I, I 100% know that we're going to be great on the other side of this because of how much time we've invested into the Brittany Cole show. So, <laughs> uh, it's great. And I just want to just say that when we talk about high ground investing, like I can speak firsthand from leading Juice, that high ground has continued to just be a player that continues to be a support, that continues to be an investor, that continues to be a listening ear. You know, like I I can't say enough about the model that y'all are using and how it feels on the ground. Thank you. Um, I, I, You know, let me write it up. Let me get a promotion. <laughs> Whatever you need. I'm here to like serve you. Really appreciate that. No, really. I appreciate That's what I'm saying. Like I love what you do because it feels so synergistic to the work that I'm doing yeah. on the ground in the community. 
Um, and I'll just say that this this approach of embedding is so crucial because it was through, you know, so many people do the superficial engagements and they come and they find, you know, the voice of all voices and that, that person that has been in leadership for the long time. And that person is the only person that gets to extend their network. Well, I know for a fact that y'all met some people that y'all put me onto in the neighborhood. And there was this beautiful, you know, dance of like courting each other and the community. And that was just unique. And so, um, it's, it's, it's great. Um, I will say, I remember, and I'm going to post a video later because I never posted it when it happened, but Mr. Kenneth, who went up for the position, I know that right now that you are creating a, a Oh, the reporter, contributors. Right, yeah. the contributors. Let's talk about that because there are real implications there for what it looks like. And I saw this with the Urban Land Institute. Yeah. Tell me this. Like when, when the people who walked up in there, and particularly Mr. Kenneth, he attended that event. He Talk about socially awkward. He disrupted that whole thing <laughs> at the the our like op- our no 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 pitch? I'm talking I'm talking about, about the, for urban, the land. urban land okay. institute so we we formed a strategic partnership with them where they came and they brought their programming to Orange yeah. Town right exposing you know real people to real things and so Mr Kenneth walked into that experience and he was just he was frustrated he was asking questions he was like disrupting you know the flow of the program because it wasn't a program that was meant for him. Everything advertised talks about getting, you know, non-developers to, you know, the exposure of this type of like planning and exactly. stuff. Yeah, how city planning works. Kind and of when thing. we bring someone straight from the streets into that space, it, it hadn't scaled down to his level. Yeah. And so when we talk about, um, you know, Mr. Kenneth, who I met at a community event, the same place where I met Fairly. Um, I realized that he had an active interest in journalism and that immediately you were the first person. You remember, I, I yeah. remember calling you Yeah, like, I have the perfect person. And when you told me that there was programming to come, I was like, Mr. Kenneth, I call him, took him to the event. And when he went in there, it was just like light bulbs went off. Like there was a newfound sense of excitement for the thing that he had, for whatever reason, fallen, let fall to the wayside. And so, you know, I'm thinking, oh, this is a bet. He's going to become one of the contributors. And when he wasn't selected, yeah. it was a blow for me. Yeah. So I think that's a really good, I think this goes right back to that conversation you were having about whose voice gets at the table and what do we do when that yeah. voice is someone who is, that doesn't fit into any of the norms that we're used to working with. Right. So the contributor program uh, this was our pilot program for yeah. that. So it was our first go round. And I will be real honest, like we thought about it for this first round and kind of while we definitely want to get, we're going to continue the program. Yeah, Actually, yeah. we just got a, a grant to do it in North Memphis okay, while good. we're there next for the first six months of next year. Um, and while we want to keep expanding this and doing it more for the first, first go round, we thought about our own capacity and do we really have capacity to take someone who not just doesn't have any writing experience, but who may actually have serious issues with grammar, with, you know, basics of writing. Working a computer. Working a computer. But and let me tell you what the brother can do is produce those stories. Right. And, and that's so, what I feel like. I feel like the two of us, like in separate lanes, are having similar issues. Yes. We need more investment to help us be able to reach the people that we really exist to reach. Right. But we don't have the capacity to do it. So Mr. Kenneth specifically, um, you know, I don't want to 
kind of put his business on blast. But at the time, uh, he didn't have a vehicle, which we were more than willing to right. provide rides and all right. of that. But he also didn't have a telephone at the time, right. a working phone. And so it was like, well, we want to include this person, but also there are so many barriers for, you know, we can go pick you up, but if we can't call you to know if you're right. going to be there and if you can't work the computer, if you don't right. have Wi-Fi, you know, if you can't go get Wi-Fi because you don't have a car, for the pilot, it was beyond our capacity. But it also hurt me, too. Like, it was a yeah. gut punch to me, too, to admit that at least for the pilot program, we can't go as deep as we want to. You know, we had to choose people who had at least some uh writing skills or like writing experience, although most of them didn't have journalism experience. Yeah. They had some kind of writing experience and they had, you know, at least a phone and that sort of thing. Needed to have basic privileges. Basic privileges. And can we just pause here? Yes. Because for the listening ear, this is the work. Yeah, this is the work. And, you know, if you don't feel gut punch, you're not doing it right. Yeah. You know, if I don't have passion to eventually, you know, in the next iteration or the next iteration to find a way to work with people who are the most sort of ground level on the ground in their neighborhoods. Then who will? Then who will? And so I feel gut punch, but it's good. That motivates me just like you chasing fear. Yeah. I chase fear too, that we're not touching the people that we truly need to be touching, you know? Yeah, no, it's real. I I mean, I don't know. I, you know, I'm a thought partner in this with you because we are facing the same struggles, right? We can continue to like rely on, you know, Britney's and Cole's, Alexandria's and Ashley's to be able to do the work, but at the cost of a Kenneth, a Fairley, a Warren never being able to enter into the pipeline. Yeah. And so, especially because we are the, um, we are the face of these things that we're doing, these, these very equitable justice driven things. And so that puts more onus on us to apply pressure to people we directly can. Now we're saying to funders, listen, you need to equip me with greater capacity so that I can serve the people because I can acknowledge right now that the people that I'm serving, they're the people who are able to meet me within this scope of capability. Right. But there, I want to let you know, because they will never get to go to your office or know who you are, that there's another group that exists. Yeah. And I, so I, I, you know, I, I charge you to really, you know, sit in that and don't let that go. And I'll send you that video because, you know, just to see his face and to see that this is a person who may, I don't, I don't know Mr. Kenneth very well because we've only had, that was our second interaction with each other. I just saw in my initial interaction from him, a love for journalism. Yeah. And I just thought, that has to get into a place where it can manifest itself. Right. Because that seed is just radiating from him. And so, um, yeah, don't worry, because I got other ideas. But I just want the listeners to know that this is what we're up against. It is. And so when you're supporting us, then understand, don't come to us lazily. Don't come to us just praising us for who we are. Understand that there is something behind us that you never will get to see. In many ways, I think that people posture themselves to us, and we are buffers, and people don't realize that. Absolutely. They make us a representation, but we're really just buffers if we don't get our story out about how we're not able to fully serve because of larger constraints on us. So let's talk about capacity building a little bit. Specifically, what are some things that y'all are doing to build capacity? I I just, I love, I just love you. I just, (laughs) I mean, 
I think we should have a podcast. Like man, we, we should, we could just go at it. We could, we would be so good. Like we, let's just break down Memphis man. on a podcast. And your background is in anthropology, right? It is. Yeah. Mine's in social work. Yeah. Y'all, y'all get ready. Y'all heard it here Those first. Those humanities, man. I know, right? Can't take us anywhere. I know. <laughs> just rough as it hard. Um, so capacity building. So juice, we, we never end the story in, you know, in the dump. We say the future is bright. And that's something that I wholeheartedly, I walk with joy, peace, light, you know, like there's, there's an airiness to my existence because I feel empowered to do this work. And I feel that I only want to radiate that to the people around me. So the people around me are not, you know, you know, shrinking violence, you yeah. know, like they're like, okay, what's, what are we doing? And so we, we stay in this action oriented space. So for us, we've come to realize a couple of things. One relationships matter. And that is both our shield and our sword. We will leverage relationships to be able to go all the way to the top. And so um, the cool thing is, is that we have the perfect pilot in Orange Mound, right? All the dynamics come together. Orange Mound, you can't recreate that goodness. And so that's why it has to be the, the ground zero to get it right. And so that's why we test out things. We've tested out enough at this point to know what works and what has the propensity to manifest into something great. So we're back at this point where residents are, you know, in, you know, um, the hierarchy of needs. We have residents who are here at the foundational level of not being able to sustain themselves. So they're not able to skip levels to be able to go into the arts, to be able to go into all this recreation, you know. And that's mm-hmm. interesting how it comes back to the community. We say, community, come do art. Community, come do sports. Community, come do all these things. I literally had a conversation with someone. I cannot support your soccer program because you don't you don't teach nutrition. Wow. I can't I can't prioritize okay. one over the other, right? Yeah. Don't 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 come in here with this sport because you say the black kids aren't playing it without teaching people the habits that you have at your dinner table. Yeah. Don't do that. Right? I cannot support the arts teaching people to be entrepreneurs only if they identify as an artist. Right. Because everyone is not a struggling artist in Orange Mound saying, please help me. Right. Right. I cannot, I cannot invest in places that will leave big glaring gaps. And so for us, we've heard from our residents by and large, the overwhelming majority of the people who have given input have said they want to start and grow their businesses. Okay. And so that's in our, you know, in our current pursuit, we um, apply for a Kresge grant. We got the grant um, ahead of our three year anniversary. Yeah. We're super excited about that. Happy um, birthday present. I know, right? Yay. You know, right. We've been celebrating for a while now, but we will start the small business in incubator and again people that want to box us say have you ever done an incubator do you know all the models do you know what we know is that we have the relationships to sustain this pursuit because the people want this and so what we do is we will lean into taking risk we will lean into the unknown to say hey if we don't do it nobody will come to pick up our ask for investment in this area so we have to do for ourselves change for change isn't just about physical coins it's about a, a mentality that we will start things with what we have and what we have is an active interest in starting and growing our businesses and now we have a grant that is allowing us to show up to players who've known us before but now with a little money in the bank they're yeah. saying hey there might be viability here well and that's a really that Kresge grant is a big deal that was a large sum of money that virtually everyone in the city went out for and I mean I you know, even we went out for it at high ground. And so to win that award, I mean, that's that's a big deal. And to know that it's going to 
direct on the ground work is great. Yeah. It's great to hear. Let me tell you, it's contingent upon some other people. So if they're listening, you know, <laughs> these C-suite, I don't know what the, the listeners, who the listeners are, but if you're listening right now and you have the capacity to buy into this project, then we need you. Hear me say, you are not a part of my network, but the people do need you. And so all we're doing is making sure that you know that our active interest is there. That has to be met somewhere. And so we need the banks to meet us, right? We need um, lots of other players. We need strategic partners to meet us. Mm-hmm. We need high ground news to come back and meet us, right? Yeah. Because we we are committed to saying that this is not just going to not be a pursuit because we don't have capacity. We're going to say, we're going to lift our voice and we're going to say, don't put yourself to sleep at night pretending like you didn't hear me, right? Yeah. Hear me. Across the city, not right. just in Orange Mountain. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's that idea, like if you're starting a business incubator, you need help everywhere from that big bank that's going to fund those businesses to that small business owner that's been in business for 20 years who comes and acts as a mentor, mm-hmm. volunteers a couple hours a week to mentor. We need the and grandma. Everyone in has, between. Yes. I was just telling, you know, a banker, I was just talking about the ideal people because there's an interesting phenomenon happening. So we're going to tier our banking system from tier one, tier two, tier three. Tier one are just people that have ideas that aren't on paper. Tier two are people who are low functioning business owners. These are the people who do the pop-up shops, that have the things out of the car, have things out of their living room. Tier three are people who have brick and mortar, but they're still relative in this ecosystem of Orange Mound. They're lower functioning. They don't they don't access universal markets. These are the people that get the people that love black owned businesses. They love coming to Orange Mound and going somewhere. They might love a particular person because how they make them feel about Orange Mound mm-hmm. and it feels touristy to them, right? But it's not the person who works on Poplar and could get to Orange Mound Hello. in five minutes. It's not the but crane building. No. They're, they're not coming in here saying that we can actually have have a viable building business in this particular space. Right. And so they're limited in where they can access space, but don't worry because our belief is that we want to build up Orange Mound so that that outside interest in us will be there by the time we get finished. We won't have to go make ourselves relevant in other people's spaces. We'll say, Hey, we made we made a whole ecosystem here. And and like you said, going back to our history, we once were a self-sustained community. There was a place where black people couldn't even go outside of Orange Mound. Right. right? So we had we had that once, right? And it's not from a place of, you know, superiority complex or anything. It's just literally if we didn't have President Obama become and I was thinking about this in the shower the other day. If we didn't have President Obama cross over. These little kids that we say are dreaming and hoping and we love to see, they wouldn't have been able to cast that vision because it wouldn't have been something they could grasp. So if Orange Mound doesn't revitalize itself, there will be other neighborhoods who who will not be able to envision themselves as being able to accomplish these things that Orange Mound can. The dynamics you will not find anywhere else in Orange Mound. It has to start in Orange Mound. It will be a disservice for it to only stop in Orange Mound, but at least... It needs to be Orange Mound. So when people hear us say that we are looking to do exclusive engagement of people in this community and have those people come up to create something that is representative, it's because we don't have it. And then right. there's a real energy and and psychological sacrifice that we are we are forcing people to have to like engage in because Orange Mound isn't its best self. Right. So we have to wrap soon, but I wanted to ask you first uh, two things. The first one is the development yeah. bit. So Orange Mound is doing or Juice Orange Mound is doing a few things around development. One of the that I find most interesting is the blight assessment that y'all are working on. Yeah. Because I think we were talking at one point, and it was a conversation around 
you know, you can't, you can't come to the table and you can't ask for what you need if you don't know your current state. Right. That, that really, that project is, has reached a standstill, particularly because of accessibility. A lot of us, as we've tried to go and do the property assessment, have run into pockets where um, connections are so poor that we can't actually, you know, complete the assessment. So we've, we flagged that for um, MPI and Innovate. And so we're hoping to get some troubleshooting in that area. But really what you take from that is the fact that even with a partial data set in the hands of community members, I've never seen more people throw data back at me and and for it to be something that empowers them. Oh, 30% of our properties are unused or vacant. That people aren't running around the streets talking like that. No, they're not. And but it's <laughs> but when you give people data, it empowers them. And when they know that they were a part of an entity that allowed them to produce that data, you can guarantee that in the future you will be knocking on Juice's door asking to get access to data that only we can produce, right? Yeah. We won't rely on what you say about us. We will tell you what our issues are and we will shift priorities because of how we will prioritize what those things are. Yeah. Cole, you heard it here first. I, I cannot wait to see what you do. I mean, really, I've told you before, like, I can't wait to see your eventual rise to being mayor or whatever you're going to do. And particularly in Orange Mound, yes. But like you said, this work here. The idea, the hope is that it ripples out. It creates change across the city. Other neighborhoods can see the successes, et cetera. And so, I mean, just the influence. Orange Mountain has been such a historic neighborhood and such a an important part of Memphis for so long yeah. that to see it, you know, your vision of it lifting and becoming once again this leader in what it means to be a thriving black community. Yeah. You know, I can't. I can't wait to see that come to fruition. And I have all the faith in the world that you're going to make it happen. You and the rest of the folks that work with you. I mean, it's yeah. not entirely you, but yeah, there's no. always got to be that one that one driving force. And it's certainly you. What do they say about a movement? It's nothing without the first follower. I find myself, you know, yeah. so grateful for the first followers. So yeah. um, there's lots of room for everyone to come and help us, you know, manifest these things. So the last thing I wanted to ask about is Orange Mound Millennials. Mm-hmm. So... What's going on with that? What is oh, it? Oh, it's so challenging to mobilize this group, ironically. You know, millennials, we're just, we're so, um, there's so many privileges that we have. You know, we're here we are, we're so educated, we're so well-connected, we're so connected to technology, anything. And we're infinitely wise because of Google. You know, it, I think yeah, it's We a, have the whole of human history in our pockets. Oh, my gosh. And so I think it's interesting to see how, you know, when we look at our predecessors and how... Um, there was this force upon them to make them have to coalesce, right? That racial, before they were able to transverse that racial barrier, that pushed them into an arena where many different identities had to find solidarity. And so millennials are going to have to figure out what is the thing that's going to be our driving force. And I can't say from my personal experience and just how, painful it is to bring us together that um, we found that thing, um, particularly in the working space, the social space. I'm seeing some other millennial influencers be able to, you know, at the drop of a hat, mobilize people, but it hasn't shifted to service. And so it'll be interesting. And maybe the approach is to go through those social influencers to do this. But this is the point. In 20 years, who is going to be tasked with being caretakers? And in 20 years, who will have raised the families, the young adults that we mm-hmm. will now be forced to like reckon with? It'll be the millennials. Yeah. And so it's insulting for millennials not to be sought out, right? Yeah. 
And so there's a misalignment there. And somebody has to not sleep well tonight, understanding that they're playing their part. If you have to think about journalism and I have to think about community engagement, somebody needs to talk about what that looks like. And it's a civic engagement piece. It's political in nature. And we need to we need to pick up the onus of that. If I am a 30-year-old right now in Orange Mound, I have to I live in Bethel Grove and I and I'm I'm confident to disclose that. You know, there's some people say, You don't even live in Orange Mound. I live in Bethel Grove and that's for a reason. When I first moved home, I live in my home house, which is a two-bedroom house. And growing up has six people. It was already maxed out for right. us. But I stayed there the first year. When I got ready to move out, there was not a viable housing stock. Clearly, generations before did not make decisions that set me up to come out of college right. to make that decision. It wasn't because as a millennial, I wanted to live in Nashville or Washington, D.C. It's because when I actually attempted there was not, you know, if I didn't have this bold commitment and this rebellion that I'm going to live in my neighborhood, I wouldn't be yeah. anywhere near this because there's not viability. Right. And so that's there needs to be a reframe. It's not that we don't care. It's because you didn't care. Right. And the person that needs to pick up that you just needs to sit in that place of responsibility to come and help us be able to understand why we need to care and how they're going to help us be able to cross over some of these barriers. I do not have time to go work and try to pursue the C-suite and then also have to buy the house, renovate the house, and then somehow find, you know, a husband and raise a kid (laughs) next to a blighted, you know what I'm saying? Activate my house and all the houses on the street. It's unrealistic, the burden that you want us to live to live in our own neighborhoods so that's my conversation around the millennials millennials we need to care um and we need to coalesce really i think that you know millennials do care you know the idea that millennials are apathetic i think is complete bs but there's a lot of structural structural barriers a lot of things that have shifted right there's no longer the job that you stay in for 30 years and you retire Mm -hmm. from you know we are paid less we have to have more education and are still paid less the jobs are more contract work, more freelance, more part-time. There's less and less job and economic stability. The housing market, you know, mm. most of us can't afford houses or we can't until we're older. Right. You know, millennials buy houses at way lower rates. And, you know, so there's these barriers to entry for millennials into the sort of quote-unquote American dream, right? Yeah. Just like there's been barriers for uh, to entry for women, for, you know, racial minorities, et cetera, over yeah. the years, right? But, you know, I agree with you. Like, if we want to live in those neighborhoods we grew up in, yeah. if we want to live beyond just the center city and experience life in, you know, vibrant neighborhoods mm-hmm. – we have to do something differently and we do have to get more involved. And I get it's a struggle. We all work too much. We don't have enough free time uh, and we're online a whole bunch. But it's critical to be boots on the ground and be young people, like you said, who we are the next caretakers and we are raising the next generation. Mm -hmm. You know, the oldest millennials turn 40 starting in January. Talk about it. Start. They turn 40 starting in January. You know, we're getting up in the middle age, some of us. And so... You know, we have to start making these changes now and demanding something different. Yeah, that's um, real. Otherwise, our kids are going to be screwed right behind us, right. you know? Poor right. Gen Z. I know. Gen Z scares me. Gen Z's coming. Gen Z's going to fix all this. They're passionate, oh, man. I, I tell people all the time, I'm a millennial who's trying to get out of the way for Gen Z. I know. I can't wait to see I what just they wanna, do. I just look at them like, can you? Can I be your friend? Like, please don't, you There's know, There's so much more compassionate. The yeah. And they're, they're decisive. They see millennials always say we're grandma's babies, right? right. We're like, you know, we're, we're just like 
that that thing. But we just we it, ours is about the timeliness. It's like listen, these time frames need to be expedited. I'm not about to do this in 15 years so we can get it done in two because we we're way more efficient. Yes, but Gen Z's like oh restructure the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, we shouldn't even do this at all. Like we should just burn it all down <laughs> right? and start again. But they're they're visionary. They are passionate. Hey. You know, can't wait to see what they do. I know. Anywho, It'll be so good. we have gone through about 20 different topics. Uh, and I love talking to you. We could do this for another two hours. Yeah. But before we do, uh, is there anything else that we have not talked about at all that you think is real important? Um, upcoming stuff for Juice, how people can get involved, yeah. or just any of the work that you co- you do so much? Yeah. I'm sure we've missed something. No, no, no. You know, all this, I don't work in silos because the work is so connected. So when people say you do too much. Some people say you do too much. Some people I said do so, so much. much. I heard that. <laughs> yes, no, I received that. Um, but I just, that's the only way that I've been able to like show up in this way because I see connections, because I put myself in different spaces. And at Penn, interdi- interdisciplinary practice is like the norm. Yes. And so I value it. I really do. Um, so I would say a couple of plugs. So tonight at six o'clock at the Wing Factory, if you show up and you're ready to like um, commune with Juice, we'll have free wings for you. So in celebration for our um, year three anniversary, uh, 2020 is going to be a transformative year. I'm decreeing and declaring that because we have a lot of... Say it um, out loud. Yeah, we've had a lot of things that we um, have lined up for that. We'll start back with our community meetings every third Monday. Those, you know, we suspended those, but those will come back. And we also are working on... um, securing physical space for juice and so we have a property under contract and it's in a great location and it's going to definitely unlock a lot of opportunities and so it'll be a very you won't have to find us because you'll see us for sure that's Um, exciting it is Uh, everybody's going to be i'm telling you i'll come back and i'll make sure that you're invited to the groundbreaking yes please um and then i'll just say this you know we are nothing you know the relationships are what matter most and so we are in the process of um doing the strategic project to be able to create our Orange Mound Street Assembly. 117 streets are in Orange Mound. We're just looking to mobilize 4% of the neighborhood, right, to get this group to commit to coming together and being the foot soldiers on their street. These are caring neighbors, people who just want to be in the know, people who love sharing information, people who love fellowshipping and feeling a sense of community. If that's you or someone that you know, then please point them to our website. It's www.juiceorangemound.org. Go ahead and do the forward slash zones and they can find out what zone they're in they can sign up and we'll make sure to reach out to them and let them know um, about this growing um, focus of making sure that our or our residents are connected and that everyone has an opportunity to be in the loop and that's kind of laddering up to the hope for an orange mound strategic plan right community strategic plan absolutely after that so i'll say shout out to south memphis because they're really holding it down fun fact i didn't know that st andrews played a role in kickstarting us See, yes, they did. You learned so much. And then that they had uh, the SOMI rep, right? Yep. And all that. Anthropologists were involved in that. The, That's, and I believe well, it. Well, and Roshan is also an anthropologist. Oh, my gosh. Roshan uh, Austin. Shout out to, you know, yeah. sometimes I, I'm like, man, you should have major in anthropology because you really, really <laughs> love the discipline. Um, but let me just tell you, you know, we don't have to reinvent the wheel here. South Memphis, shout out, right? Yeah. 
that piece of it is missing for us. For the past five years, I've been running in a lane and I don't know that the other lanes have coverage, you know? And so I can't do this alone. I need to know I'm running alongside other people who are going full force and that we have the whole pot accounted for. And so without a, you know, I'm, my framework is in terms of education. It's my sixth year in education, even though I'm a social worker by education, um, you don't go into a classroom saying that, you know, you know, I'm just going to teach kids. No, you cast the big vision. You say 100% of the kids will reach this. And then you backwards plan from there. Yeah. When we can't do that process of backwards planning or even setting benchmarks and knowing what we can celebrate. We can't, we don't have metrics. And right. so we need to put that in place so that we can hold each other accountable and know how we're progressing. And there's empowerment in being able to run off of your plan. Because if you don't create it, somebody else will. It's absolutely true. And, you know, I think... Again, I cannot wait to see where Orange Mound is in 10 years and 15 years and five years because, you know, speaking back to South Memphis and So Me Rap, that plan was the, was the catalyst, yeah. you know, and now there's, there's the farmer's market, there's the grocers, there's the Ernestine Rivers Child Care Center, there's, there's the millions on top of millions on of top dollars, of millions. And now they're doing housing development. They, you know, there's the apartment complex, there's individual housing stuff. All of that started with the neighborhood residents saying, these are our priorities. Number one is food. And that's how the farmer's market started. That's how the grocers right. now there, you know, that came straight out of that strategic plan. And all they've done is follow it. Right. Listen to the residents, follow the plan. And it's incredible the amount of work that has happened in South Memphis. Not just the works. They, too, partner with a lot of folks. And there's just this kind of general coming up that's really great to see. You know, yeah. still a lot of work to be done. Yeah. But when I look progress. At the, when I look at the works, I see how many staff persons there are. When we talk about capacity, yeah. they're equipped. Right? Yeah. And that was a byproduct of them having a plan. Yeah. And so let it be known, Orange Mound, we see you, South Memphis. So <laughs> we do too at High Ground. We love some South Memphis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Any any closing brilliant thoughts? Shout out to Alcy Ball. It's hard for me. And Bunker Hill, you know, I just ran a campaign. So I, those are neighborhoods within um, South Memphis. And so I know that they have a lot of organization that they're looking to activate. So shout out um, to the people that don't, you know, get to stand as the face, but are still a part of. And so um, Orange Mound, if you know somebody from Orange Mound, which we all do, find that person and figure out how to help us get our 117 yeah. and then come out and volunteer with us because we're we're going for it and it will manifest itself so be your first follower so that you can be on the winning team i love that your final shout out was to not orange mound it was to neighborhoods not in orange mound and it's just so indicative of the generosity and the connectivity that exists within you and that drive to memphian baby humble you're just humble and you you know it's all about lifting everyone else and recognizing them you're always talking about somebody else is great work and i'm ready for us to get new targets we're gonna talk about your great work look we fight against each other it's time for us to talk about nashville and talk about other cities we cannot start with nashville we will be here for two more hours (laughs) love it all right Brittany, thank you so much for joining us today this has been great yeah it's good uh so you all can follow us at highgroundnews.com If you like this podcast, please share it. Please tag us, tag Juice Orange Mound, tag everyone you can think of. Let us know how we're doing, uh, what you want to see on the next episode. You can follow this podcast and others like it from The Daily Memphian on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And thank you very much to podcast producer Natalie Van Gundy.
In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place.